Now, if you look with me to Romans chapter number 6, we're going to begin with verse number 19. It says, and you might say, Pastor, we're going backwards. But anyway, I didn't, I didn't get to address this passage, and I want to look at it together. In chapter number 6, verse number 19 today, I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In this passage of Scripture, Paul is helping us understand the tale of two different lives, really. And so he's helping us understand my life before and my life after knowing Christ. He says in verse number 17, but thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. Verse 18, you've been set free from sin and become enslaved to righteousness. Your life before and your life now. Verse number 19, just as you offered in the past parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater, greater lawlessness, now offer them as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He's saying there's two, you have two different lives and that your life has radically been changed in Jesus Christ. So my question to you this morning is do others see a change in your life? Do other people, when they look at your life, do they see a difference in your language, in your values, in your love, in your patience, in your joy, in your contentment, in your peace of heart and mind and spirit? You see, the Apostle Paul is radically different than Saul of Tarsus. God changed that Saul of Tarsus. That Pharisee, that Jewish man who was passionate and pursuing the keeping of the law, but was a slave of unrighteousness. And he transformed him to the passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He's transformed to a slave of righteousness. He once was opposed to the gospel, but then he became the champion of the gospel. God changed his life powerfully. What kind of life are you living? What kind of life are you living? What is the destination of the pathway that you're on in your life? Hmm. When I got to off the airplane the other day, I needed a ride to where the convention was going to meet. 
I've never been to Los Angeles in my life. And so I thought, I'm not going to rent a car, I'm not going to drive in all this traffic. So I decided to use something called Uber. How many of y'all have ever used Uber in your life? Well, it's Uber fun. And so, uh, and so I hit the little app, and you know what the question was? Where do you want to go? It already knew where I was. And so where do you want to go? I told her where it wanted to go, and it showed up. Now, I really didn't care about the pathway, but I did care about the destination. But the question for you today is, where are you headed? The life that you're living, where does it lead to? What's the final destination? Christy said to me one day, do you know where you're going? I said, no, but we're making good time. Well, that's kind of a foolish thought, isn't it? Where are you going? And what is the destination of where you're headed? Today's message, we're going to look at two pathways. And not only two pathways are we going to look at today, but we're going to look at, at, at two different masters, two freedoms, and two returns, and two ends. So the first thing we want to think about is the two different pathways that Paul lays out for us. And notice in verse number 19, chapter 6, verse 19, he says, you offered the parts of yourselves of slaves to impurity. He says, I'm using this human analogy. And to greater and greater lawlessness. He says in verse number 16, he says it was that pathway was a sin that was leading to death. You offered yourselves to someone as if you don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, your slaves is the one you obey either in sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. You see the the the, the pathways are either the pathway that leads to destruction or a pathway that leads to life and blessing. Jesus said the same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road that is broad that leads to destruction, and many go through it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult or straight is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. What is he saying is, he's saying that there is a road sign and there's two pathways. And the, the lie comes from the world that if you take this broad way and this wide gate, that it will bring me life. But it doesn't bring life. It ends in death. But here's another pathway, and it's more narrow, and fewer people find it or walk it. And it's not always easy, and it's sometimes difficult, but it leads to life. Amen. But which way are you headed? One is life, and the other is death. In the book of Psalms, chapter number one, this is the very idea that we, we find in Psalm 1. Look with me to God's word. It says, blessed or happy is the man, the woman, 
Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, nor stand in the pathway with sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. That's the way of the world. That's the way of the wicked. He said, how blessed is that person, that man or woman or boy or girl, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. If you're walking according to the counsel of this world, just because it's popular at school, just because it's popular on social media, that's the counsel often of the wicked. It leads to death. Nor stand in the pathway of sinners, go in along with the crowd, nor sit in the company of mockers. They make fun of what God's word says. But instead, he delights, notice, verse number two, instead his delight is in the, this is the blessed man, the blessed person. His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by flowing streams of water, and it bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf is evergreen, does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. But not so the wicked. Let me tell you what, when you go contrary to God's word, when you go contrary to God's spirit leading your life, when you, go the, when you go contrary to the way of righteousness, I'm telling you, it leads in a downward spiral to death in your life. The wicked are not so. Instead, they're like the chaff that's blown away by the wind. Whenever they would harvest the grain, they would take it to the threshing floor. And at the threshing floor, they would grind it, separating the chaff from the kernel of corn or wheat or the, the seed, the, things that was, the thing that was nutritious. And they would then throw it with a spoon or a shovel up into the air. And this winnowing shovel would, would cast it up into the air. And the wind would blow the chaff away and down would fall the heavier grain that was good for keeping. He said, the wicked are not so, so they're like the chaff. They're like the waste product that goes away. He said instead, but the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor in the assembly of the righteous. They will not stand. They will be lost. For the Lord watches the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked perishes leads to ruin. There's two different pathways. I'm going to stop here for a moment because I just want to make this, I want you to hear my burden today. Hell, listen, hell is real. And the way to hell is paved. with people who think they have good intentions, good morals. But hell is a real place for those who do not know Christ Jesus. And you perish. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Go to hell. And I know it's not popular, and I know you're uncomfortable, and I know it's not in vogue to preach about hell. I want you to listen to me. Hell is real, 
It is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And from hell, there will not be enough tears. You will cry and cry. Why? Why? Why am I here? What did I do? Why did I do this? Why did I live this way? Why did I reject the gospel? And it'd be a place of gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth is often in anger. I don't deserve this. And you're angry. But forever... And ever, and ever, and ever, you'll be lost in hell. My friend, what road are you traveling? Heaven is real. Just as hell is a horrible thought, heaven is the sweetest of thoughts, that we might be with the Lord Jesus forever and ever in the sweetness of glory where there's healing of our souls, healing of the nations. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof leads only to death. There's a large road sign that God has put in place for all of us, the cross of Christ. And it's proclaiming loudly, this way is the way of dead, death. The bridge is out, and if you stay on this pathway, you will end in destruction. Stop! Turn! Repent! And trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. The prophet Ezekiel says, As I live, declares the Lord of hosts, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn ye, turn ye. Why will you die? Jesus said, Listen, there's not many ways to heaven. All religions aren't the same. That's all a lie out of hell. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Yes, we must repent. The response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is repentance. It's putting your returning from sin change in my attitude about my sin, about my selfishness, a change in my belief of trusting in Jesus Christ, change in my allegiance. Jesus is Lord and Master and King of my life. And we must proclaim this truth. We need to proclaim this truth to our family and to our friends. This is the big lie. When someone dies without Christ, we hear people say all the time, well, their suffering's over now. That is not right. Their suffering's beginning now. We're to speak the truth in love. Well, you know, I just hate to confront them. You know, I just love them so much. You don't love them so much. Because if you loved them so much, you would tell them the truth. Amen. We're to be speaking the truth in love. 
I want you today to consider, write down with me, who do you know? Right? Would you, would you write this down? Would you make it a note in your phone? Who do you know in your own family, in your known neighborhood, somebody you go to school with that doesn't know Christ? Who do you know? Will you start praying for them? And will you ask God to help you witness to them? Your children, write them by name. Are they all walking with God? Do they know God? Are they living for God? How about your grandchildren? How about your coworker? How about your classmate? I will not be ashamed Amen. of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it alone is the power of God unto salvation. Yes, Secondly, there's two masters. In this passage of Scripture, there's either the master of sin, and sin leads us and makes us a slave to impurity. Notice in the passage of Scripture in verse number 19, he says, you offered the parts, the members of yourselves as slaves to impurity. And that's parts of your body to impurity, yourself. He says, you've offered them as an act of worship and an act of obedience. And the result is it leads to greater lawlessness. It's a downward, downward spiral Listen to me clearly. Listen carefully. Sin never leads to holiness in your life, and sin never leads to happiness. Sin never will satisfy your soul. Sin is impurity. It leads to more and more law-breaking. It is the downward spiral. It's the downgrade in your life. We're told in Genesis 3 that Eve saw the fruit. She heard the lie of Satan. He says, you'll be more like God. She saw it was desirable to make one wise. You'll be happier. You'll be more whole. You'll be more wise if you sin and disobey God. That is a lie out of hell. Amen. When you sin, it only brings further destruction into your life. It never will satisfy you. Sin will keep you out of fellowship with God. Sin will keep you out of this book. Sin will lead to further disobedience. Sin will rob you of fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Sin will deceive you. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Sin quenches God's Spirit, the fire of His Spirit in your presence. And sin takes you out of service for God. Amen. You become benched and you're on the sideline because of your sin. Satan is a liar and a thief. Tell your neighbor, Satan is a liar. 
Some of you don't believe in Satan. He is a liar and a thief and the father of lies. Let me tell you, sin, it keeps you longer than you meant to stay. It takes you further than you meant to stray. And it costs you more than you meant to pay. Sin is destructive in your life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve two masters since you'll hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon, God and money. Second is righteousness. Will you be a slave to righteousness? You're freed from sin. You're united with Christ's death. You're also united in his resurrection. And Paul is writing now that you can be set free from sin and be free in regard to a new life with a new master. Now offer, the, now offer them, the members of your body, as slaves to righteousness, which result is, results in sanctification. Man, it's a glorious thought. You are set free from the shackles that bound you to unrighteous living and Satan's lies and deception in your life. And now as those bonds are set free, you've turned to the Lord and you now want his rule and reign in your life, a slave to righteousness. In the Old Testament, if you were a slave and God had made provisions in the law for slaves to be set, released from their captivity, maybe they fell into slavery because of indebtedness or maybe they're in slavery for other reasons, a sojourner that became a a slave. But if that slave determines that he loves his master, that his master loves him, that he prefers to be under the master's protection, the master's care, then that slave could have his ear pierced with an awe and said, I desire not to be free, but to be your slave forever. You were saved from a cruel taskmaster. You were saved by the lover of your soul, the Lord Jesus. And now surrender yourself to the one who redeemed you. Amen. There are two freedoms. Now, this is kind of an odd way that Paul says it in verse number 20. You were slaves of sin. When you were slaves of sin, so when you were in slavery in the past, when you're that old life, you were free as a slave, free with regard to what? Righteousness. Wow. He says what he's saying is you were free from living right. That's kind of a backwards way to say you were in captivity to doing wrong. He says you were free from knowing the truth. You were free from having life. You were lost and you were in bondage. That was your condition before. But the second freedom he speaks about is this new life in verse number 22. But now, 
I love but now. Don't you mark that in your Bible. But now, now, glorious now, you have been set free. From what? From sin. And become enslaved to whom? To God. And you have your fruit that results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. Now. Now. Now what is Paul saying here? Just a couple things for clarity. Number one, he's not saying that you will live a sinless life. Sinless perfection. You never, ever sin again. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying that you won't be tempted. We all will face temptations. He is not saying that the sin nature is completely gone because we still struggle with that nature. He's not saying that we won't have a life with difficulties. In this world, we have trouble. But you've been changed. This is the point. You have been born again. There is a new life in you. Folks, you can't live this changed life without a new birth, without regeneration. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3. Look with me. But if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing And in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. That was their condition, their lostness. That was our condition. But we have been changed. We've been transformed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us since we've reached this conclusion that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so those who no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. Hallelujah. We're free to live a new life. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. And see, the new has come. Hallelujah. I've been born again by the Spirit of God, changing me, awakening to me to my lostness, opening my eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ crucified for me, risen from the grave. Hallelujah. And he caused me to be born again, born from above, born anew. My friends, you can't live this Christian life without the birth of the birth, the new birth of Jesus Christ in your life. had a spell it's the truth man listen to me we've gotten away from preaching we've gotten away from preaching that hell is real and hell is hot and you're lost and you're blind and you're deceived and you're going down the wrong path but there is one and it's Jesus Christ and if you turn to him God can save you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. There's no other way. There's no other name. It's in Jesus only.
Next, Paul talks about in this passage, there's two fruits or two returns. Notice in chapter number 6, in verse number 19, it says, You offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness. Now offer them as slaves to righteousness. The results in sanctification. Verse 21. So what fruit was produced then? From the things you are now ashamed of. Please listen. What was the fruit of your former life? The fruit or the return of your former life was things that you were ashamed of. The shame comes from the sin and the rebellion and the blindness and the ethic and the rule that we lived under. In Romans chapter number 1, verse 24, God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. Their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served what's been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful, passions, shameless activity. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way left natural relations with women, inflamed in their lusts for one another. Men committed, there it is, shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness, full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. This is shameful activity, shamelessness, wanton living, corrupted minds, shameless acts, perverted values, sexual sin, and celebration of sin. My friends, these are shameless acts that we have done, all of us. Aren't you shamed? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, it says you'll know them by the kind of fruit that they bear. 
and you'll know the false prophets from those who are truly God's people because of the way the fruit that they the fruit that they bear. He said, a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears fruit. You will know them by the fruit. But fruit is evident in our life. Is it the fruit of shameless, shameful activities? Or is it a different fruit? And then he talks about not only shameful behavior, but the other fruit that is compared to this, contrasted to that, is the fruit of sanctification and holiness. Listen to what Paul says in chapter number 6 again, in verse number 22. Chapter 6, verse 22. He says, but you have been set free from sin and become enslaved to God. Here's the word again, the phrase again, verse 22. You have your fruit. This is the return of his life in you that results in what? Sanctification or holiness. And the outcome, eternal life. Are you bearing fruit in your life? Fruit for God, fruit of, of holiness in your life? Is Christ's life evident in you? In John's Gospel, chapter number 15, in that great analogy of Christ in the vine, listen to what Jesus says. I am the true vine, my father, the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that will produce more fruit. Jesus expects fruit from your life. Jesus looks for fruit in your life. Jesus, Jesus produces fruit in your life. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, remain, abide in me, and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You remain in Christ. He says, if you don't remain in me, you're thrown aside like a branch. He withers. They gather them, throw them in the fire, and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove, prove to be my disciples. Listen, this is the fruit that God wants. He wants to see the life of his son manifest in us. And that can only happen as we abide in Jesus Christ. So we don't want to have the return of shame, but instead the return of sanctification. Look with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 28. My little children, remain in him, abide in him, so that when he appears... How many of y'all believe Jesus Christ is coming again? Amen. When he appears, he isn't, it isn't doubtful, it is a certainty. Notice in verse number 28, when he appears, we will have confidence... And not be ashamed. There's the word again. Before him at his coming. If you know that he's righteous. How many of y'all believe that the Lord is righteous? He's coming in glory and holiness and righteousness and power.
power and splendor. Oh, what a glorious day. Well, but will his church, will his people, will his bride be living for him? Amen. Or will we shrink back in fear? You know that he's righteous. You know this well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Amen. You see, holiness is the work of God's Spirit in us. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, God is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In Galatians chapter 5, the flesh and the Spirit are at odds with one another. And God's will for you in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 is your sanctification. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 1, 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is how God is doing this. You say, Brother Tim, then I'm telling you, God's not done with you. Tell your neighbor, God's not finished with you. He's at work in you. I've said this. Tell your neighbor, you're a piece of work. You know what? God's working in you. He's changing you. How many of y'all glad God's not done with you yet? Man. I'm a work in progress. Some days... Better, some days more difficult, right? But that God, God, this is what God does. He, he takes blessings of life and he showers them on you. And he woos you by his love and blessing. Isn't that good? But that's not the only tool in his tool chest. He also chastises and corrects you because you're his children. And he corrects you and he brings things into your life to get your attention. And not only get your attention, that you might depend on him. And you cry and cry. Why is this happening to me? You know why it's happening usually. Not always. And when you sin and you suffer for it, don't gripe. He, he's letting you know you're my child. I love you. I'm correcting you. The worst thing the parent can do is just let their kids go off and not ever correct them. And then also he tests you and tries you in his sovereignty. A good and wise and holy God sometimes, oftentimes, allows hard things happen in us in order to make us more like his son. And so difficulties and hardships, he is, how many of y'all believe in the sovereign God? Amen. We don't live in a world of chance or chaos. And he's working in us. 
I read about a man that was on a trip and he was in a South American country and the pastor took him by a church that they were having built. And the workmen were all working on the church and there were some master stonemasons that were working on the exterior of the building. And some were on scaffold and some were wielding trowels and mud and setting the stones. But there was an older gentleman sitting at the workbench down below. And he had a piece of stone and a hammer and a chisel. And as he was talking to the man, he said, he said, what are you doing? He said, you see the steeple building there? He said, I'm working on it down here so it fits perfectly up there. God is working on you and in you for ways you can't see now. For his glory. How many of y'all believe that? Wow. I'm going to finish the rest of this sermon next week. Today's takeaway message. I want you to consider these questions. Our praise team and praise men. I ask you guys go ahead and make your way here please. The question number one is, what is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Second question, what pathway are you on? I think that's a great question for you to ask yourself. The way I'm living my life now, where does it end up? Number three, who rules your life? Who's the master of your life? Number three, what kind of fruit are you bearing for God? Is it fruit of sanctification and righteousness? Or is it fruit of shamelessness? Shameful acts and sin and rebellion. What's the fruit of your life? Jesus comes. He pulls back the leaves of our life and says, what fruit do I see? And what he's looking for is the fruit of the Spirit. He's looking for the character of his own life in you. And today, it's a day to repent, turn back, and trust God, and live for the one who died for you. Amen. Father, have your way in our hearts, our lives. Thank you for this word today. Father, I pray that today we would surrender to you, yield to you. 
Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, would you?